We're in the Roman study, and we're roaring into verse 2 at incredible speed. And as we do, I want to talk with you about some tensions. And as Heidi mentioned, there's a lot of tensions in this next verse. We don't, we don't often notice them because a lot of times we're reading through, and we don't stop and let it sink in and start to imagine, what, what does this mean in my day-to-day? So we want to do some thinking about that today. And as you do, I want to remind us that we're caught in the in-between. Jesus has come. Um, in that sense, the kingdom has come. But we are not living in the kingdom of God in its perfection, are we? I mean, you look around the world and you go, this is not that. We have received, we have moments, we have glimpses, we have encounters. But we know that the world is not as it should be. One day, we'll get there and and sorrow and suffering and sighing and crying and all that stuff will be gone. But until then, we're in this tension as we walk through life. And so recognizing this, Paul wants to draw our attention to some specific things in verse 2. He says, the gospel he promised, that's God, beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Spirit. So he, he's been introducing who he was and what he does, and now he's, he's saying that this is the gospel that he's been called into, and it was promised. And so when you see that word promise, when someone makes you a promise, immediately you fall into attention because you wait for it to be fulfilled. And so someone says, well, you know, you can think about your kids when they can run into you. Well, so-and-so promised me this. They want to see it fulfilled. And this promised thing puts us in a place of waiting. And we like that, don't we? Oh, yeah. Give me some more waiting. The idea of waiting and then waiting on the promises of God takes us to another tension and that God's timing is way different than ours. His definition of waiting is much different than Mark Spencer's. I mean, my idea of God promises something, it'd be like, one, two, three, okay. But that's not how God rolls. And this economist figured this out. He was reading through 1 Peter, and he, he saw that in 1 Peter, there's this verse that said, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And so immediately his gears began to turn. And so the economist said to the Lord, Lord, is it true that a thousand years is just like a minute to you? The Lord said, yes. And then his gears started to turn some more, and he said, then a million dollars to us must just be like a penny to you. The Lord said, yeah. Well, the economist's eyes lit up. He said, well, Lord, hey, would you just give me one of those pennies? The Lord said, sure, just wait a minute. (laughs) And that's how it feels when you're in this waiting place. We're waiting, 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 and there's tension, isn't there? I mean, waiting for stoplights sometimes, this drives me crazy. I, I told the first service, I live in Shoreview, and if I drive up Lexington to here and the lights are okay, I can make it to church in 15 minutes. But occasionally, there's a demonic horde that takes over the stoplights. <laughs> and, and sometimes, you guys, I mean, be honest, here we're in church. How do you feel 
when the light should change and for some reason it doesn't and you have to wait twice as much? Do you feel any tension? You do. I do. And then I notice the tension when I go into the grocery store. Sometimes I think, stop being the nice pastor guy. I was in a grocery store and I saw on the register girl's badge that she was in training. So I thought, okay, I'll be a nice pastor and I'll encourage her. Well, never follow Mark Spencer into a grocery line. Because if something's going to go wrong, it'll be in Spencer's line. So I stepped there. As soon as I did, the software of the register goes down. Something goes crazy. So you have a trainee that's going. And then, of course, you can feel in the line how everyone's so patient. Oh, yeah, take your time. I got all the time in the world, right? It's almost starting into a rugby match, you know? And then, so we finally get that going again, and then the tape thing runs out. And you think, oh, man, that's like landing rockets on Mars. She's trying to figure that. But you finally get there, and you realize, even here in the grocery line, there's that tension that we step into. But there's bigger things that we deal with. You deal with waiting for the doctor to call and to give you the results of the tests. And sometimes you wait, and you wait, and you wait, you wait. I can remember when one of us was waiting for medical results, and they got, they got lost in the lab, and you just go, no, you feel the tension. I talked to a couple not too long ago that was waiting for their kid to come home from armed forces and on a special duty. You feel tension while you wait, do you not? It's heavy. It's big. And so just to help you continue to get an idea of what it's like to wait, I think there's nothing like a kid's face. So there's this famous thing called the marshmallow test where the promise is, I'm going to give you a marshmallow. Actually, Shanna did this with her kids. She had it on Facebook. I'm going to give you one marshmallow, and if, as I go away, if you wait to eat that, when I come back, you'll get a second marshmallow. Watch what happens as they wait. Come back, okay? All right. I'm going to go do something, and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. I love the last guy. He just, yeah, right there. He demonstrates so much of how I feel in those moments. You're waiting. Like, Come on. And there are these kids. They're waiting, wondering, when is the promise going to be fulfilled? Because at the bedrock of this is a reality. And again, we don't often move in awareness of this, but it's, it's very clear to me as I thought about this passage. And the reality is this, is that our lives hang on promises. You're, 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 
even small movements of your life, is moving on something that's promising you something. And so you're, you move through this precarity wondering, is it reliable? Can I hang on to it? I'll give you an example so you can understand this a little bit more. When you get up to go to school or go to work tomorrow, you're going to go out with the promise that if I put my key into the ignition, my car will start. Right? That's the promise. But if it doesn't, all of a sudden you become aware of, ugh, it's in a sense a promise not realized. Your car doesn't start. And so there you are. You know you got to get going. And so you call a service station, and they say to you, we'll be right over. There's another promise. What do you think is going to happen? You wait, you wait, you wait some more, and no one's coming. And you look at your watch, and you realize, I promised my boss that I would be there at quarter to eight, because we have an eight o'clock meeting that's significant. I got to be there, and time is ticking. I'm stuck. So you think, well, maybe I should call somebody else. But if I call somebody else, I myself am making some kind of promise to them that I'm going to pay them to come. And what if they come and then these guys finally show up? Now I'm going to pay two companies because I, in a sense, promised them. And you realize that your life is hanging in these promises. Then your boss calls. Hey, you promised you'd be here at 745. Where are you? You promised. And so you do your best to explain your situation. And he says to you, well, I don't know if I can promise you that you'll have a job tomorrow. And on and on it goes. You see, your life is hanging on promises. But we don't often think about that because we become aware of our dependence then. And when we become aware of that, another tension mounts. Man, you mean I've I've got to depend on all these other things besides me. And, and what happens then is you, you start wondering, well, how in the world am I going to discern what I can and can't trust? Because there's all kinds of things that are calling to you and I, making promises. I told First Service, I said, it's ridiculous sometimes when you see shaving cream commercials. You know, what, what do they, they, in a sense, promise you if you use the shaving cream, this is what's going to happen. You know, someone's going to come in and kiss you. My wife never kisses me when I'm shaving. There's shaving cream, and plus she doesn't know if she's going to get the whiskery side or the unwhiskery side. Never happen. That promise doesn't happen. The other thing you notice in those shaving cream ads is every one of those guys has a six-pack. I shave every day. I don't have a six-pack. What's with the promises? Yeah, I'm doing the wrong. <laughs> I'm going to work on that. I don't know. And you know all the different ads. You've seen all the the different exercise equipment and the different nutritional things that you can get, all making promises to you that we can do this for you, and you're wondering about discerning. And in the midst of it, another tension rises. You realize that I cannot do life alone. I'm dependent. I'm caught needing something outside of me. Here's the epiphany. It's like, oh my gosh, you mean I'm not in charge? I'm not in control? And you guys are sitting there thinking, well, Mark, of course you're not. Of course I'm not. But we like to live under the delusion 
that I got this, don't we? I can control this. I can manufacture this. I can do this. I can handle this. I can make this happen. And when we realize that we are wholly dependent on things outside of ourselves and promises, and now we've got to discern which are good and which are bad, who's our good and who's our bad, it feels disoriented. It feels off balance. And then you fold in as a Christian and you're trying to do this thing where you're asking the two questions. God, what do you want to say to me? And how should I respond? You're in a situation where maybe something is going on with your health. And so you're trying to be that good, obedient, bridge and to say, Lord, what do you want to say to me? It could be that maybe your job's on the bubble and you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe there's a relationship that's in a tense place. Maybe there's a child that's estranged. I don't know. But those big things, when they happen, you're stuck in this place where you start trying to do your best waiting on God, and all kinds of questions happen. God, why aren't you talking? Maybe I didn't hear you right. Hello, God! Are you seeing this? And you feel stuck, lost, off balance. And so into this place, in fact, the whole book of Romans, the reason Paul is writing it is the church has made a re-entry back into Rome, and it's not the same place that they got kicked out of five years previous. And the way the church is rolling out isn't looking the same. And the people that are going back aren't the same. Everything's changed, and they're wondering, what can we put our feet on? What's the promise? What's the hope? Where can we do this? And so Paul says, listen, The gospel he promised beforehand, some versions say long ago, through his prophets, his holy messengers, in the unshakable, unchangeable, ever true word of God. In other words, you can bank, you can bank on what God says he does. That's the good news. That is the good news. The good news that Paul's talking about is this Jesus Christ comes. Not as some people, some person who's going to live apart from you, some distant God that you've got to somehow pacify or satisfy. He immerses himself in the stuff of life, the disorder of life, the trauma of life. The lepers get touched. The blind get healed. The cripples raise up. The sinners get saved. This is the God of promises who keeps his promises. And so the fear of how will I know, where will I go, the good news says, don't sweat it. This is the God that comes to you. You don't have to run around and find him. You don't have to search and look and scream and holler. He comes to you. Jesus says plainly, you didn't choose me. I chose you. He doesn't wait until we can somehow ascend to him. He comes down to us. And what you see in the good news, the gospel, is that it's amazing. Everyone that comes to Jesus and says, I got a sick son, will you come to my house? He stops what he's doing and goes to the house. And even in the case of his friend Lazarus, it appears that he's too late. 
He made him wait too many days. Oh, the sisters cry out. Martha and Mary, they cry out, oh, if you'd only been here. Little do they know. This is a God that time doesn't matter. And he wants them to know, I'm not late. Watch this. Hey, Lazarus, time to wake up. And what you see throughout the whole book, this holy book full of stories, is story after story of people waiting and discovering that God is faithful to do what he says he'll do. Adam waits for Eve. Abraham waits 25 years for his son. Joseph goes through 13 years of confusion, waiting to get the realization of his dreams. David scrambles for 15 years from this crazy king. Moses waits 40 years. And here's the one that I think is amazing. Jesus waits 30 years before he starts his ministry. 30 years waiting. So this produces attention. Because if you're waiting right now, you're going, oh my gosh, i got to wait 30 years? I don't know if I got 30 years. Why does God have us wait? What's the point? Does God take some kind of weird pleasure from watching us squirm and ache? No, not at all. Remember, this is the compassionate God. What God is doing when we're waiting is he is painting a picture and he wants us to connect the dots. You see, he reveals himself to us. The reality of who he is, how he is, becomes intensely personal when he answers in an obvious way a promise he gave to you. Now this God who once was far off has come near. And you see, you experience. You're touched by it. It's an essential way of how he reveals himself. Because the reality is, people, God doesn't have to tell you what he's going to do. Did you know that? He doesn't have to tell you. So why does he? Because he wants you to connect the dots. That I am the guy who told you that. And now that you see this, you go, oh, that's that. This is that. And the one who said this and did that is God. What he says he'll do. Faithful is he who calls you, he'll also bring it to pass. He wants you to know in a deeply personal way. I am the God who keeps his promises, period. One of the prophets that Paul talks about in his holy word says this, since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. What an astounding Prophetic word. You mean you're the God who's going to act on behalf. Why? Why would you do that? Because the bottom line is he wants you to grow in your trust of him. 
And when you learn to wait and abide and lean on the promise and trust and you just wait for him to move, then you go, oh, this really works. There was a season, some people were asking, Betsy and I, if we've ever lived by faith. And we've had close encounters. I think we're all living by faith, whether we realize it or not is another thing. But we were intensely living by faith. I was in graduate school. We had, I think we had 41 kids then. It seemed like it. And uh, I just didn't have enough time to go to school and to work enough jobs to make enough money. So we had this obvious gap. So Betsy and I prayed and we said, Lord, what do we do with this obvious gap? And we both heard clearly, trust me. And then we started to see in the scriptures, all kinds of scriptures talking about this Jehovah Jireh, this provider, this one who will meet your needs. And strangely enough, what happened to us is God started to send people our way and they would say, how are you guys doing financially? That's humbling. Oh, we're fine. We got a new Lexus. You should come see our flat. You know, it's like, no. So we were honest. We'd say, well, honestly, we've got some gaps. Well, here, the Lord told me that I, I needed to support you for this next season, and this is how much. And so what was interesting was this happened to numerous people, and you started adding it up. It was exactly the amount we needed to get from here to there. So you go, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. Still, my stomach's in knots. Kind of cool up here, kind of, oh, down here. Because you realize I'm dependent on the promise. And the way the promiser works is sometimes he involves you. (gasps) So the first two months went along well. I mean, literally we'd get our rent money in time to actually pay the rent when it was due. Third month comes along. We've got most of the money, but there's a significant chunk that hasn't come in yet. Lord, have I done something wrong? Because that's what you do, isn't it? You turn your pockets of your soul inside out. I must have done something wrong. I blew it. God's mad at me. Ba ba ba. And I kept talking to the Lord and not hearing anything. And I'm getting more and more anxious. And the guy that was in charge of collecting the rent and the person that was kind of the overseer of the apartments, you know, his name was Joe. And I said, Joe, it's coming. <laughs> and then I would turn around and I started to really doubt this whole thing. The tension of waiting was hard. And then, the next day, one of these people that had said, we're going to send, comes running up to me and he goes, Mark, I forgot. I didn't put this in the mail. So I grabbed them by the neck and choked them. (laughs) Don't do that again. No. I hugged them and I said, don't do that again. He said, I, I had it all set to go in the mail and I completely forgot. I'm sorry. Did I cause you distress? Nah. A great man of faith like me? Not a bit. But you see, God has ways. The hardest thing for us to do is trust Him. The hardest thing. But He wants us to because He knows that the way we're created is we're dependent on promises. We're dependent on that. And he wants us to walk through and be able to discern which promises are reliable, which promises are reliable. He wants to do this with you and I together. And that takes the trust walk. 
And you see, when you don't do it that way, you get exhausted. Which is why another prophet says this. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They wait, they renew. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I'm so excited the eagles have made a comeback. And you see them. Do you, do you see them flying around? It's astounding to see an eagle. Most birds flap. There's three types of kind of movement that a bird does. They, they will do this flapping, and then they will do this thing called gliding, where some birds can kind of glide, but gravity wins. Really, only eagles and birds like eagles can soar. It's a whole different category. If you watch an eagle and they mount up, what, what it looks like is, woo, gravity doesn't have any effect on them. Because if you watch other birds, eventually their weight and gravity wins and they begin to descend. And then they got to flap. But if you watch an eagle who mounts up under these invisible forces, these updrafts of air, their strong winds catch that and they're just waiting on the wind, it pushes them upward. And instead of soaring down, they're soaring up. And in our lives, when we are moving and struggling and we're not abiding in the promises of God, if we're not leaning our life on the promise of God, gravity wins. But the prophet is saying, listen, if you do it in concert with God, you will find a strengthening, a renewal. You will find a a lifting up. This past week was an extremely busy week for me both for teaching and the season that I'm in, and lots of counseling, and the counseling is challenging counseling. Some of the most difficult things that I've faced in all my ministry, really, helping people walk through. And I was out on a prayer walk, getting ready for the weekend. I was telling the Lord, you know, as if he doesn't know that it's going to be a busy week. And I said, Lord, this is, I just really am going to need help abiding in you and keeping in step with your spirit. So, Lord, would you help me? And I I, I pause, and I'm kind of listening for the Lord. And all of a sudden, I hear really clearly, you know, Mark, they don't come to see you. They come to see me. I'm like, oh, how true that is, God. <laughs> and then a pause, and I, this, this could just be my relationship with the Lord, but I think sometimes he teases me. I mean, he calls John and James the sons of thunder. I think he likes to kind of jab Spencer every once in a while. And he goes, no offense, and I said, none taken. You know, what are you going to say to the Lord? And as I'm going along, I'm realizing, okay, so that's the reality is people aren't coming to see me. They're coming to see Jesus in me. And I start thinking about Paul who says, you know, it's, it's not I who labor. It's the grace of Christ in me that labors. So what does that look like, Lord? And as soon as I said, what does it look like, Lord? I see in pictures. That's why a lot of times on my PowerPoints I have pictures I draw pictures when I'm teaching and explaining things because it's how I see. And I, I just had a sense of I should stop. And I, so I stopped walking and closed my eyes. And the minute I did, I had this really clear picture. Have you guys ever seen this? When, when there's a dog that's on one of the choker chains and the master's got him, and he's not keeping in step with the master, and he's <laughs> straining against the choker chain. Have you seen that? That was the picture I saw. And I said, Lord, is that me? And then it was strangely quiet. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, just sit there for a little while, Mark. And I said, I know it's me, Lord. 
It's me. How do I keep in pace? Well, how I keep in pace is by relying on the promise of His presence, His guidance. Just this morning on my prayer walk, I'm quoting Psalm 23. And I get to that place where it says, You guide me along right paths for your name's sake. And I stopped. And I said, boy, that's a great promise. Thank you, Lord, for guiding me along the right paths. I really, really appreciate that. And then started to pray for some other things. You see, the promises keep us yoked. And the yoke keeps us in step. Keeping in step keeps us renewed. And we mount up like eagles. You see this often when athletes do something that's exceptional. They'll do this. You know what I'm talking about? They'll, they'll make an incredible play, an incredible catch. They'll make an incredible serve. They'll do something. And, and, and they'll fall down and they'll point to the sky. And, and to me what this suggests is the human condition. It's like they recognize in that moment that wasn't just me. That was more than me. That was something more than I can do. I've got to attribute the fact that that was us. Us. Because it usually happens after huge struggle, pushes, tests, volleys, matches. It's just exhausting. Bang, bang, back and forth. When is something going to settle in? Bam! And their only response is, not just me. And man, does the Father like to see that? Because that's the reality he wants us to live in. So today, I suspect there might be some people waiting. Wondering, God, where are you? What's happening? Some people might be waiting and wondering, what's the word I lean on? We may pray for that in a little bit. But the reality is what the psalmist says is that our whole being needs to wait for him, his word, his way. And when we do, it's a moment when created and creator meet and you do this. One of my heroes in the faith is a man named Bill Wilson. He has a very unique ministry in the inner city of New York. When he was 12 years old, his overwhelmed single mom, who had, I think, five children at that time, walked him down the street to a corner of Pinellas Park, Florida, and said to him, stay here and I'll come back for you. Bill, the 12-year-old, stayed on that street corner for three days waiting to see if that promise would get fulfilled. Three days. Standing, waiting, Looking, wondering, hoping. And there was a man, Dave Rudness, who walked by, who was a Christian guy that owned a garage down the street. And he had to walk by that corner every day. And every day he would notice this young man standing there. And finally on the third day, he stopped and he turned to him and he said, Son, I've seen you here the last few days. What are you waiting on? And he burst into tears and told him the story. Dave said, well, it doesn't look like mom's coming back, but you can come to my house 
Eventually, Dave adopted him, raised him as his own, helped him graduate from high school, go on to Bible school, and then to seminary. And now, as a result of that, Bill Wilson has a ministry in the New York City area that ministers to over 150,000 inner-city children every week. The buses go out. The bus drivers are the pastors that pick up these kids. They shepherd those kids. They pick them up. They go into areas of Harlem. You and I wouldn't dare go near. And they march in. And the reason that Bill Wilson does this is he says, I learned that day when a promise was broken There is a God who never breaks his promises. So I'm here this morning to tell you, if you're waiting, I get your tension. Been there, done that. But I've also seen the other side that made me go, ah. Hold on and hope. Trust his promise. If you haven't heard the promise yet, open the book. It's full of them. He wants to be in the midst so that you see who he really is. And you too can go, ah. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Your word says that you're a God who cannot lie impossible. (laughs) Thank you. Seems like a lot of other places it's not that story for sure. This morning we've got probably a lot of waiters here. Some waiting for health, some waiting for a breakthrough, some waiting for finances. Who knows? You know. Help us to find that place of grace and to wait on you and to put our whole being on your promises, knowing that faithful is he who calls and he'll bring it to pass. So as we get ready to give you our tithes and our offerings, let us also give to you this place of waiting. Step in in your unshakable, immovable way and help us see once again that you are a God who delivers. In Jesus' name, amen.
sing that out. Oh, your grace is never ending, Lord. Oh, your grace is never ending, Lord. Make